This is the sound of a man who unexpectedly fell into cold water and instinctively is trying to swim hard. This is the sound of the cold water shock making him gasp uncontrollably and breathe in water until he drowns. Whereas this is the sound of a man who fell into cold water and knows how to survive. You have to fight your instinct to swim and just float until the cold water shock has passed and you can control your breathing. This is a safety message from the RNLI. Float to live. Visit respectthewater.com. Listen, do you want to know a secret? Do you promise not to tell? Whoa, oh, oh, closer. Let me whisper in your ear, say the words you long to hear. Bangly bang, sorry for the abrupt shift in tone there. Hello pod, I'm Chris Hewitt, flying solo for the latest Empire Podcast spoiler special, dedicated to the film that teams up Danny Boyle and Richard Curtis yesterday. Why, you might ask, are we doing a spoiler special for a rom-com? Well, because of what happens in that rom-com, which, as you know, because you've seen the film already, right? I mean, you're not listening to this without having seen the film, because this is a spoiler special, and I'm about to spoil the film big time, okay? So you know what happens. So you know that the film stars Himesh Patel as Jack, a young, struggling songwriter who enters a coma and wakes up in a world where the work of the Beatles has been erased. With only his memory to rely on, he remembers as many Beatles songs as he can, passes them off as his own, and becomes a huge star. All very good, all very light, all very funny, and obviously filled with incredible music, but still not the stuff of spoiler specials. Then, about two-thirds of the way through the movie, Jack, who at this point is racked with guilt about what he's done, is visited by two other people who can remember the Beatles. They give him an address. He drives to that address, and there he finds... And this is the spoiler... John Lennon. Alive, well, and an artist, rather than a musician. And that's when, as a huge Beatles fan, I knew I had to talk to Curtis and Boyle about this huge, potentially controversial and contentious decision to bring back Lennon. Or at least to spare him his tragic fate. So that's exactly what I did. First up, you're going to hear a brief conversation with the film's writer, Richard Curtis, in which we talk about the Lennon decision, his plans for the other Beatles, some gags that never came to be for the film, imposter syndrome, and much more. It should be noted for the record that I, for reasons I still can't entirely fathom, turned up for this junket wearing a bright yellow Beatles t-shirt. So Curtis refers to that at one point. And in case you're wondering, after listening to the interview, I do know the words to Do You Want to Know a Secret and Penny Lane. And no, I didn't have to Google them. Anyway, I totally did. Anyway, that's enough for me. Here's Richard Curtis. Enjoy. We're delighted to be joined on this very special yesterday, spoiler special podcast, keeps in the word special in these introductions, by the writer of the movie, Richard Curtis. How are you, sir? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's such a guy. I love the fact it's a spoiler special. So I'm, I'm, I'm primed. <laughs> All the things you haven't been able to talk about. Yes. For the last year and a half to two years. Okay. All right. You can Very talk good. about them. Okay. All and right. 
It's, it's. I mean, that's an unusual thing for someone to be expected to tell the truth. But <laughs> um, I'll, I'll keep broadcasting. Have you been obfuscating for the last two years? For the last fifty-two years. But there we go. <laughs> Um, one of the reasons I really wanted to do a spoiler special on yesterday in particular uh, is the revelation that occurs probably two-thirds of the way through the movie uh, that in this reality that you have conjured up in which the Beatles have been forgotten, yes. John Lennon yes. is alive. And uh, there's a lovely scene where Jack goes to visit him and we see the life that John might have had had things turned out in a different way. Yes. And I'm intrigued by that. And I, I want to know if that came from, because I, I think all right-thinking people, all, all Beatles fans, look at what happened to John, obviously, as a, as a travesty, as a tragedy, as something that should not have happened. Is, is that where you started, in a way, from that? Yeah, it was such a terrible, terrible, and sort of profoundly, not only a sorrowful day, but a sort of surreal day, because it felt like, two worlds the sort of real world even though john's life was so much to do with the real world but you know the world of dreams music it was almost like a not like a fictional character but someone who didn't belong in the world of real life violence so Mm. i remember it felt as though there'd been a tear in the universe rather than just you know it's very different from a president yes as it were i guess part of the motivation behind this was a desire to repair that tear in the universe that's absolutely right. Yeah. And um, it was quite interesting that, well, if you want spoilers, as it were, <laughs> here we go. So in the original draft of the movie, I found pl- places to bring in all four of the Beatles in different okay. ways. So when he first goes to Liverpool, I'd written a long scene where he just goes to a pub and he bumps into George and Ringo. Mm-hmm. And it, it, it was, a, I think, I hope a sweet scene. And they were just two, you know, delightful oldish men who'd once been in a band together. And, you know, they, they, he, he bought him a couple of drinks and it was all very sweet because they were clearly music enthusiasts mm. who never got any further. And, you know, happy people who love music like so many of us do and, as it were, formed a band or been in a pub band. And then there was the John scene, uh, which was always sort of what it is now. And then at the very end, he was going to move to the Isle of Wight, to a cottage in the Isle of Wight. And you were going <laughs> to you were going to hear outside his window say, someone saying, Vera, Chuck, Dave, and then look out, and there were going to be three dogs, and Paul was going to be walking them. But uh, I then realised that it was probably slightly diminishing returns and there'd be all sorts of questions of how people looked and everything mm. like that, and they'd start being compared to each other. Mm. So um, I decided in the end, um, and I can't remember whether this was with or without Danny, that uh, that one scene would be better, and it was the scene that had the most the most meaning is in some ways the pivotal scene of the film. Yes, absolutely. It, it, there's, a, there's a lovely poetic quality to that scene as well. You get to see, because John obviously had a very artistic bent, yeah. uh, and you could imagine that's the direction he would have gone in had he not formed the Quarrymen with Paul. But how, how far did, down the line of, of formulating that alternate reality did you go in, in, in did you think have did John and Paul meet in, in your world no I, I, I didn't deal with that I think probably not yeah. and I think and John you know because Liverpool's a port uh-huh. become a you get the sense that he's been a sailor that he's travelled around the world that he's been political he says at one point that he's you know 
um, fought for a lot of things and won once or twice. And also that he's made some brave decisions on love, as John did. Mm-hmm. And again, we're not specific about who with, yeah. but the idea that he had to fight to get love right, which John did. So, um, I mean, it all came out quite quickly. And I wrote, as I tend to, you know, sort of 20 pages of dialogue between them and then <laughs> honed, it, honed it down. It's uh, it's really funny the way, the, way the, uh, the film reveals different people didn't make it or different things didn't yes. make it. The Coca-Cola revelation, the uh, the Oasis <laughs> revelation, which makes sense, I guess. You take the well, Beatles away. This is, yeah, yeah, yeah. And indeed, I think quite a lot of ELO's work might disappear. <laughs> uh, and I'm sure Jeff Lynne would be very happy with me saying that. But I think that... Um, yeah, we wouldn't have the Travelling Wilburys, or there'd be a, a trio <laughs> <laughs> with a rather different style. Um, yeah, I mean, uh, look, I'll give you another spoiler since we're here in the... In it's a the spoiler, spoiler special, secret. Richard. It's a spoiler it's special. A spoiler special. There was another joke, which you can just actually see the setting of, where he was meant to be on a plane and looking through um, what movie he wanted to watch. And it was going to turn out that one person, I hadn't decided who, whole career was going to have disappeared so as it were you're going to all have all tom cruise's movies but um <laughs> matthew mcgonaghy was the star of 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 all tom's movies and then the idea was going to be that in a later scene um which we call the marketing meeting of meetings that just one of the people working on the account uh-huh. was going to be as it were matt damon or ryan reynolds or <laughs> someone like that um but uh, and we did offer it to a few people but either because they genuinely weren't free or because there was something implicitly insulting about the fact that maybe Matthew McConaughey could have played all their parts. Um, no one took <laughs> us up on it. So that's another, you know, um, lost child of the film. That's a massive shame. And uh, in, in terms of the, the driving force behind this film and, and one of the ideas that drives this film, it's about the idea that the Beatles songs are strong enough that even if you took away... John, Paul, George and Ringo, that they would still have the power to change the world, which is what they did back in the 1960s. And can you talk about working on that idea with with Danny and, you know, and how far, how much you believe that that is the case? Because obviously the Beatles came up in the 1960s. There was a perfect storm of of different elements. You know, there was, there wasn't a a great deal of forms of entertainment clawing to people's attention back then. Uh, The music itself was, was, genius obviously the personalities of the guys yeah. themselves played a part in it how much did you go back and forth with Danny I thought on about that? that a great deal I mean uh, but but was left with you know and you're right the Beatles came at this extraordinary moment where you know they suddenly reintroduced reintroduced joy youth love into the sort of public dialogue in a, in a slightly dry time when we were meant to sort of follow and respect our elders um, but I really, the more we worked on the movie, the more I thought, oh, these songs are just so extraordinary. Um, that I mean, particularly now, you know, um, Ed Sheeran's got this new, you know, uh, partnerships album, you know, where he's, mm. he's doing songs and he's releasing one every two weeks. I thought, can't imagine the Beatles could have released a song online <laughs> every two weeks for five <laughs> years. They would have been completely extraordinary and the more you listen to the song the more the lyrics have astonishing magic and the sort of raw tunes are amazing i don't believe for a moment that they wouldn't have been 
the biggest, you know, those songs wouldn't mm. have been the most successful song catalogue in the world if they came out today. Absolutely. Maybe one or two. <laughs> well, no, but maybe one or two then as well. Do you know what I mean? But, but um, I, I think that, you know, people are ready to be astonished and encouraged. And I think that, um, you know, Ed has this line where he says, you're Mozart and I'm Salieri. <laughs> uh, and I'm a huge fan of Ed. Um, but I think also one of the things about the Beatles is the variety that came from those yeah. three voices, you know, which yeah. is a big secret in pop. Yeah, you know, that's what makes Fleetwood Mac so amazing that they had a bunch of writers writing at it. So, yeah. I, I genuinely believe that it's 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 kind of astonishing actually that you have a, a band, four people in that band, three of them are geniuses, the other is still one of the greatest drummers of all time. Never mind, and this. one of the greatest characters of yeah. all time. You know, that's the I love the bit in um, Five Hundred Days of Summer that uh, Zoe is so mm. obsessed by yeah, yeah. Ringo. And you know, the Beatles were as in the. I mean, obviously they weren't as much, but they were the quintessence of friendship. You know, that's what made them so great for boys. That you didn't have to fall in love with Paul McCartney. You could fall in love with the idea <laughs> of being one of the Beatles. And so I think Ringo is 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 an unbelievably key ingredient in that in that mix. I've just realised now by removing the Beatles from the uh, the equation, you've also removed Hard Day's Night and Help from the equation. And I wonder how Richard Lester's career got on in, in the wake of that. Danny and I disagree on this a bit because I'm a huge fan of Hard Day's Night and I think he likes Help more. <laughs> but um, maybe Richard Lester would have used that year to make an astonishing, a stonking movie about the Stones. <laughs> yes. Who knows? Yes, precisely. Um, and when you were writing this movie, did you did your wall resemble Jack's wall in this film? Because he, when he's trying to remember Beatles songs, yes. he has a, almost a serial killer's wall chart. Yes, um, well, no, but what what I did do is I filled my room with photos of the Beatles. Just so many great things, you know. I'd put them in tacky frames and have you know album covers and and gorgeous photos that I've got. Um, uh, but what I couldn't do was listen to the Beatles. That was my contract with myself because I couldn't cheat. So I did try and remember as many songs as I could and stick them up on the wall and think which one would be <laughs> better. I mean, it's such a pleasurable writing experience because, you know, normally you write and you're on your own. But I wrote and I had a sort of filing cabinet of Beatles songs. So I could say, oh, well, here we go. We, he's, he's in despair. Oh, help. <laughs> that'll, be, that'll be handy. So it was, it was a great pleasure picking the 17 songs or whatever we've got. How do you whittle it down? I, I wouldn't even know well, where to one begin. of the ways... No, and, and look, imagine doing a Beatles movie with that and I love her or this boy. <laughs> but the big thing was that the more famous ones were funnier. Yeah. You know, if you're going to sit down in your parents' living room and play them a song... It probably shouldn't be not a second time. You know, it probably should be <laughs> let it be. Um, and so uh, that that kind of helped, that I went for raw fame a lot of the time. Okay. I, I, I couldn't help but notice that on Jack's wall, he put up Revolution 9. Yes. And I'm fascinated to know how Jack is going to replicate Revolution 9. I don't 9. think he is. That's why we don't hear it. He remembers the name, but I don't think he's going to do the thing. Yeah. 
tomorrow I, never comes, I'm not sure he would have mastered that either. <laughs> He'll never get the words for the benefit of Mr. Kite. Oh, no, no. Yeah, all no. come together. No, uh, oh, no, no one, I can never remember that myself. Or and, indeed, all you need is love. I don't know if you remember that fabulous photo of Elvis Costello at Live Aid. No. Where he'd written on his hands in black felt pen, nothing you can do that can't be done, nothing you can say that can't be sung. Do you know what I mean? Because he couldn't get the lines right. <laughs> On his other hand, he has all you need is love. Yeah, just, all you need just, is love. That's easier. Remember you that, think, Elvis. You know, well, that's one of the things you think. Oh, I know this one, Eleanor Rigby. All the lonely people, all the lonely people. Where do they all come from? But you've got to get there <laughs> via Father Mackenzie and 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 the rice. <laughs> why, why that song in particular? That's the one that uh, eludes Jack throughout the film. Oh, look, it was just one of the ones I... One, I wanted to introduce it because he goes to Liverpool. Mm -hmm. um, and it's kind of such an amazing visual thing that we actually have at Eleanor Rigby's grave. But secondly, it was just one that I thought I knew. And I remember the day I did that thing and I went outside and I wrote all the lyrics down. I got yeah. them 100% right. I went back and checked them. And just like an exam, you think you've done well, and it turns out you've <laughs> failed. Um, I got it completely wrong. So it, I kind of did the real-life version of that. I remember when I was writing for Weddings, I did that with Hugh's speech. I actually, Hugh's speech to Andy when he runs mm -hmm. after him, mm -hmm. he's very chaotic, and he yes. talks about David Cassidy. Yes. I, the immortal words of the Partridge family. That's yeah, I remember yeah. Rush writing that. I did seven versions of that speech. Blah, 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 blah. I didn't want to organise the speech. I wanted to make it a chaotic outpouring mm -hmm. of thoughts. And then afterwards, I sort of forensically stuck my favourite bits together. But it was like that with Eleanor Rigby. I wanted it to be vaguely true to, to how you or I would do. You'd probably do better than me. <laughs> oh, I don't think I would somehow. Penny Lane's another stinker. <laughs> you know, we all think we know it. Of course we do. But it's full of bankers and barbers and firemen. And yeah. Like what order did they come in? I've no idea. No. I've, you know, because you, know, you put me in the spot. Yeah. If I had a time to think about it, I'm sure I would be able to get it. I don't think you would. I, I think I would, Richard. I think yeah. one of the secrets of this spoiler thing <laughs> is that you know as little about the Beatles as I do, despite the fact you're wearing no. a bright no, no, no. yellow Beatles T-shirt. <laughs> I love Jeff, Pete, Graham and Roger. <laughs> huge fans of the um, Beatles. Uh, huge fans. The movie is it's bright and breezy, but it's also, at its heart, it's about imposter syndrome and it's about survivor's guilt in a in a weird way and yeah. uh jack at the end of the movie uh, kind of absolves himself of his own sins the sins that he thinks he's committed anyway and he's trying to keep this music alive but he he is ridden with guilt about it um can you talk about that decision to to release the beatles songs into the world and to not have your lead profit from that yeah, well, the certainly imposter syndrome. I mean, yeah. there are two sort of sub-themes. Imposter syndrome. I felt like such an imposter during this film because I would keep saying to Danny, no, I'm sure it's funny. It's, it's going to be <laughs> hilarious. Uh, and then I'm thinking, am I sure it's funny? Is it going to be hilarious, you know? <laughs> so even me, after all these years, you know, it's always, a, it's always a gamble. And then the other thing I was interested in is work versus family, Yeah, really. You yeah. know, he, he has this, the biggest work opportunity of all time he yeah. can produce all their records but are you going to give up lily james in order to write you know abbey road it's the eternal question and what's next for you richard i'm actually spending a year campaigning um back in 2005 we did a campaign called make poverty history mm -hmm. about the united nations millennium development goals and now we're at 
15 years later we're at 2020 um, and it's their sustainable development goals and I think that's probably worth a crack at trying to make them happen. Absolutely. In terms of the the work-life balance, that is absolutely worth pursuing in that way. Thank you very much indeed. I hope I've revealed. Um, And again, as always, if if we had to have a song now, we would do Do You Want to Know a Secret, wouldn't we? That would be, be the one. Fantastic, Rich. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, so that was Richard Curtis. And now straight into the interview with Danny Boyle, the film's director. Now, I do mention this in the interview, but a few weeks beforehand, I had interviewed Boyle for a video version of Movie Mastermind. Check it out on Empire's YouTube page. It's a lot of fun. And afterwards, he did hint that he thought there would be something in yesterday that could prove divisive for Beatles fans. So here we are, finally talking about that. Enjoy. Delighted to be joined on this Empire Podcast Yesterday Spoiler Special with the film's director, Danny Boyle. How are you, sir? I'm very good. You? Yeah, not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, let's pull the curtain back a little bit. A couple of months ago, we did something for Empire Magazine. Yes. Uh, we, we, we shot you. I interviewed you on camera. And afterwards, we got to talking about this movie. And I said, I'm a big Beatles fan. You said, I'd be fascinated to see what you think of it when you see it, because there's something that happens in it I think may divide Beatles fans. Clearly, you're talking about the fact that Revolution 9 is one of Jack's songs. On, on, <laughs> oh, no, no, wait. Is it John Lennon? <laughs> it's John Lennon. Uh, so for people who obviously, you know, if you're listening to this, you've seen the movie, John Lennon is alive in this reality. And that makes sense. Totally. Absolutely, totally makes sense. And I spoke to Richard about it, and he talked about the idea that John Lennon's murder was and is an atrocity, and a, he said a tear in the universe that he wanted to repair. Yeah, that's... Is that something that, that drove yeah, you? Yeah, it's an absolute aberration in time. And the magic of cinema, the absolute, not just magic, because that's the kind of slightly fey word. Mm. The power of cinema is that it can do that. It can repair time. Mm. It can give you... All cinema's about time, really. I mean, the more you work on it, the more you realise all those people who've said cinema is time. It, it literally is. You you spend all your days compressing it, expanding it, mm-hmm. stretching it, stopping it, starting it. I mean, it's just like literally the nitty-gritty of it is all about time. And so when you get a piece of work that actually allows you to go into the fabric of time, literally... You know, in a, in, a, in, a, in a proper sci-fi movie, it would be an alternate universe or whatever. But here it's literally in the fabric of real time because mm. the premise is mm-hmm. this is different. Mm-hmm. And, people, and people then understandably say, well, you never really investigated how things would be different if the Beatles weren't there. That's it. The real reason it's impossible to do outside a kind of 40 part, two hour, every episode TV series, you could investigate it. But in a single two hour film, it's in- investigated, if you like, by this knock at the door late yeah. on in it that yeah. actually just confronts your own feelings about this aberration, this terrible wound mm. that was done to our one of our greatest cultural Moments, you know, this shockwave that shattered. I wasn't around. I, I was very young at the time. Do you, yeah, do you, I was in. I have no idea why. Yeah, I was in Waterford in Ireland, and I was on a hotel that was a boat. No idea what I was doing there. Can't remember. Can't recall. But I remember hearing about his death when I woke up. Yeah, yeah. So it was. It was very special to um, be able to. Um, literally let 
the power of cinema reimagines something, really, which is what it can do, of course. Yeah. And it felt like a wonderful place to take our hero. I remember when I first read it in the script, I remember thinking that is just fantastic because you think you're in one kind of movie and then for a moment, it's not like an attempt to make a different kind of movie. It's not like to slip on a different set of um, clothes or something mm. or a different mm. overcoat. It just allows you to sit in something wondrous, almost like a song can have that wonder about you. You know, great songs have that, power over me common people the pulp song has that power over me it just transforms me every time i see it and what you wanted to do was just transform jack's experience for a mm. moment and it does allow him to um write a wrong and this he can write a wrong because mm. he can turn up at wembley and actually say it's what gives him the power to do that to say that yeah so it gives him the power to write a wrong we don't quite have the real power to write the wrong of his death, of his murder, but you do have the power through cinema to imagine it for a moment, that's all. Why, why did you think that it might divide Beatles fans? And it, it, it might, there might, there might still be some Beatles fans who reacted negatively. You know, I'm, no, I'm, no, it's a Marmite scene. Yeah. Some people think, oh no, you can't do that. No, you mustn't do that. No, I didn't like that. <laughs> and other people do give into it. I don't know whether that means one set of people are romantic and one aren't. I don't yeah. know. I thought it was a, a beautiful poetic interlude. Yes. And I thought it was, it was, it was justice for, for John. In, in a strange way, because obviously what you're doing is that you're saying that in this universe he doesn't meet Paul, or if he does meet Paul, then he, the artistic bent in John takes over. And because he doesn't meet Paul and they don't become fast friends, the songs that are in him don't come out and he pursues a different endeavour. That's this artistic endeavour. Yeah. And that's a very interesting direction to take, to take John. Absolutely. It's just, I mean, it does confirm their, what was unique about them mm -hmm. was the chemistry of what they had together. Mm -hmm. The four of them, not just yeah. the two of them, but the four of them changed them all forever. And of course, if it didn't happen, therefore it didn't happen. So they never became songwriters, if you see what I mean. But it, it's, um, I mean, we did think at one point, I think, I think we talked at one point about, should he play him some of the songs? <laughs> and then that felt, the problem is you, you've got to be very tender with it. You've got to be very careful not to overuse it. But we thought about him playing him some of the songs yeah. and to see whether there was any muscle memory, you know, <laughs> playing him the hits that Jack's yeah. had. Yeah. And, but... It felt, it didn't, it didn't, that would feel, you can easily get disrespectful, which is why I think the people who react against it just mm -hmm. think it's disrespectful. You know, they just don't want to do, they just want, don't want to go there, but it was never meant disrespectfully. It was yeah. always meant absolutely tenderly and totally respectful to everything about the, everything about him, really. Yeah. Uh, I speak to Richard, he said that there, uh, an early iteration of the script had all four Beatles being visited in a similar way, there was an encounter with George and Ringo in a pub, uh, and, and Paul kind of bookended the film in a way. When, when I'm 64, almost bookended the film. But uh, I don't know. I, I feel that maybe this is the the right way to go. Did, you know, clearly, you felt the same way. Otherwise. I never saw the versions. Okay. I never saw any. I never saw any other version than this version. And okay. I would have resisted. Yeah. Um, I would have resisted. I think that feels like like box ticking in a way. Yes. In a, in a way. Yes. Yeah. Very much so. And um, also, there's something about. How, I mean, you could make the same case about George, who suffered terrible violence mm -hmm. as well. But there's something very acute about the violence, the senselessness of what John faced for a moment. Also, he was 40. And that's, you know, he was just snatched yes. away. 
gone way before nature really took any kind of toll, which mm. it will of, of all of us, you know, mm. as you get in your 60s and 70s and whatever, yeah, mm. it's bound to take a toll. So, yes, it's particularly acute for that, really. I, I mean, it was extraordinary, the film playing in New York, of course, because it has an extra resonance for that city, mm. which for which he was the son of that city in a way, yeah. really, yeah. and who felt responsible and, you know, grief-stricken by what had happened. So it was very acute playing it there, you know, mm. um, but hopefully, I think that's one of the things that the good nature of the film, that the film is is optimistic and deliberately good-natured and ordinary in its optimism. You know, that Jack is an ordinary guy mm. who returns to an ordinary world of being a schoolteacher by the end of it. So it's not an attempt to take something incredibly powerful like John's survival and, and use it in, in a cocktail of, you know impressiveness it's a kind of quite plain world in a way mm. that it arises out of you know, a, a world of suffolk seaside towns yeah. you know they come from a seaside town mm. you know um, that's what they emerged out of so i hope it all balances nicely yeah that's an uncredited robert carlyle uh, as as john uh very very good i mean he's uh he's done a liverpoolian accent before in cracker uh slightly different character though <laughs> I can't really comment on that. <laughs> all I know let, is that let the record show that Danny is smiling. No, I, all I can tell you is that the actor who did it, <laughs> the actor who did it was we we agreed that we wouldn't use any kind of publicity for it, and uh-huh. and that it was a cause, and that it was a cause of a lifetime for that actor. Mm. A very special moment for that actor okay. who held, who venerated John um, before he was taken from us. It, uh, he was venerated. And this, this actor venerated him uh-huh. um, his whole life and knew even more about him than Richard Curtis knows. And Richard is the world's expert on the Beatles. He'll drive you mad with everything <laughs> that he knows about them. But I have to tell you, this actor knew more about John than any of us, you know. Amazing. And so it's a very special coming together. Um, of them, really, in a way, which I want to respect. Okay, understood, understood. And uh, and the other Beatles, the surviving Beatles, Paul and Ringo, did they have any involvement in in the, in the film in in this regard? And, and uh, uh, no, they they obviously the the idea of the the idea of the film was submitted to them, mm-hmm. and I think it's just so magnificent <laughs> that in an era of increasing biopics uh-huh. and biographies of bands and, and, and artists, that the film they agree to let their music be used on is the film that sees them extinguished from public record. <laughs> you think that's the sense of humour? Yeah. That's the scouse sense of humour right there. Yep, yep. Is, let's give that one the go-ahead, lads, shall we? Absolutely. Um, anyway, they, they agreed, because then you have to put together a deal for the music. It's very complicated and expensive and... You can't really have a film unless you've got that absolutely locked down. Um, and then when we finished the film, we sent the finished film to them and we had a lovely message from Ringo and from Olivia um, about um, their experience watching the film, lovely. which was beautiful. I don't think Paul's watched the film yet. Okay. He's seen the trailer 
And he was very, he said, yeah, the trailer seems to work. That's a, that's a surprise, he said. <laughs> Two <laughs> thumbs up from Macca. It's that kind of undermining humour again, which I absolutely adore, that we're built out of. Um, yeah, and, and then Richard had to approach him about using Yesterday as a title. Yeah. Because when we decided on Yesterday, we thought, well, I mean, obviously Paul doesn't own that word, but given that this film is about so much begins with that song and how famous it is of one of Paul's creations we thought we should out of courtesy ask him and he did say the original title was Scrambled Eggs yesterday and if the movie's a mess maybe you'd prefer to call it Scrambled (laughs) Eggs and that would be okay and we said well we don't think it's quite such a mess we think it's okay to use yesterday if you're alright and he said fine so that was very sweet I love that story that he, he dreamt it he dreamt that he, he he woke up yesterday in his head and thought it must have been someone else's song. Yes. And ironically, Which, given yeah. this story. Precisely, yeah. yeah. And, they, and he went around playing it to people saying, have you, do you, know, you <laughs> recognise this? Do you recognise this? Because <laughs> yeah. he assumed he must have picked it up from somewhere and... Yeah. You know, be playing it as his own, which is ironic given the given our story. Yeah. Someone goes, "That's the theme tune from Danny Boyle's Yesterday." You don't know it now. <laughs> Trust me. In about fifty years' time, that film's gonna be pretty shit hot. Just a couple of last uh, quick things. There are a couple of characters in the movie who also like Jack. Remember the Beatles? Sarah Lancaster's character is um, Justin. Yeah, Justin. Yes, um, Justin as well. And uh, there's some speculation about how they might remember the Beatles. Is it that they suffer the similar fate as Jack? That they black out at the same time? Is that something that you addressed? We never really, we, obviously that's the easiest solution mm. is that for some reason they were unconscious at that particular moment. Mm. But I think it's kind of like, it, it, I, I'd always imagined it as a kind of like a, <clears throat> it's, it's, it's so, I mean, it's, it's referred to as a 12 second blackout. Mm. I'd always have seen it as more as one of those lightning flashes mm. that's almost so quick, only certain people see it, you know, and that means that they, Still the, see the, the light. The imprints on your eyelids. Yeah, that, it's, in, yeah. that it's, it's still there for them. But that's all. But yeah. she was very good. Sarah yeah, was very... Good. Well, they were both very good, but Sarah's very good at um, playing that scene where she has to... Because obviously it's a conceit and you want to feel as much trepidation as possible for his possible... You can't imagine what's going to happen. It's just... But you know he's going to be humiliated in some way, some terrible way by some somebody who has some kind of official authority which you imagine they have somehow because he's Russian and intimidating looking and she's got a uniform on at one point and you think whoa but actually of course the twist of her saying thank you yes is very special, I think, yeah. That's at the heart of the film as well, because there's that famous phrase, it's the singer, not the song. And this film is saying, it's the songs, not the singer. Yeah, very much so. That's interesting, because obviously the Beatles had a, I was just, you know, repeat myself or Richard a little bit in terms of the question, but they had a perfect storm of everything that happened around them. It wasn't just the songs, it it wasn't just their personalities, it was the culture in which they grew up as well. And this film is saying that it's the songs. The songs will propel Jack, who's got charisma and talent, obviously, but they will propel him to stardom because they're that good. Yeah, because they're that good. Absolutely. And also they, they, the reason that we couldn't really unravel the world because of the sheer time it would take with the Beatles, he's, I, the world would be unrecognisable without yeah. these songs, I think, because they changed... They changed, they literally shifted the world onto a slightly different axis, certainly the Western world and beyond. Because I think when you look historically back, you, especially now when you think that the Britain had come, you think of it just a town like Liverpool, it come out of the war 
and austerity after the war. And maybe there's a bit of Elvis from abroad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But basically, it was waiting to change. And the 60s changed it and they led it. And those screaming girls that you have this frozen image of at the end were, mm. were mocked at the time as hysterics and mm. kind of just scream. And in fact, they were blamed for the Beatles never touring again because yeah. the Beatles couldn't hear themselves play. But actually, those girls propelled these boys into the centre of society because I think there's a case you can argue that had they not... They might have remained. They might have remained an impressive but passing fad. Yeah. But by putting them in the spotlight of the establishment, who were horrified, I think the boys. This is my theory, anyway. <laughs> I think the boys, whether they're conscious of it or not, realised their power yeah. for a moment, and they began to write. Yeah. That's what they did. Yeah. Which a, a lot of people. Crucible. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. lot of people say no. It was because they couldn't play live anymore. They were forced into the studio and then experimentation. I'm sure that's true in mm. a way. But it was also they began to write their own material or more challenging material, more expressive material. And they thought what we believe in, which is people's power to self-express, not to serve in the army, to love pleasure rather mm. than feel duty bound to serve a previous generation's values, but to forge new values mm. that are about the spirit of youth and the joy of youth and you know that explosiveness really um that's what they did with their and that and, and they not only did that but they they created an economy around it as well because obviously you can accuse artists of being hippie layabouts who just want to avoid work that's how the establishment used to talk about them <laughs> but then they've created an economy which is of more value than yeah. manufacturing and the great towns liverpool manchester were losing their manufacturing base slowly over time and what's replaced it is an extraordinary cultural economy yeah. and we've generated and you see it now in the work of ed sheeran what does ed sheeran sales generate for this country staggering wealth you know really in a way um, mm. i'm sure if the government could organise it they'd have 20 Ed Sheerans <laughs> every single year if they could organise it we weaponise Ed Sheeran yeah, weaponise Ed Sheeran so yeah uh, Danny I could talk to you about this movie and the Beatles for a, a lot longer than 18 minutes but you have to go do the one show so yes off you go off we go Danny Boyle it's been a pleasure as thanks always thanks a lot thanks man and that was Danny Boyle talking about the John Lennon scene but interestingly not confirming officially anyway that it is Robert Carlyle playing him who knows maybe I'm wrong maybe I'm putting two and two together and coming up with five, but when someone who looks like Robert Carlyle turns up in a Danny Boyle movie, I tend to assume it's Robert Carlyle. But we must respect the wishes of actor and director in this case. And that is it for our yesterday spoiler special. When I said I was flying solo for this, I meant it. But if you do miss the other half of our spoiler specials where Team Empire get together to talk about the film in question, do let me know and perhaps we can get a team together at some point. Our next spoiler special will be with you very soon. It's Spider-Man Far From Home with director John Watts and producers Kevin Feige and Amy Pascal, and it is a belter. And hey, if you don't already listen and subscribe to the regular Empire podcast, which doesn't spoil anything, it's out every single Friday, then what are you waiting for? Get on it. Make it happen. Right, that's enough shameless plugging for me. I'm off to write a strongly worded letter of complaint to Richard Curtis for raising Coca-Cola from the world. I mean, what am I supposed to drink now? Pepsi? Ugh. Thanks for listening. See you next time. Bye.